You are listening to an edition of iFanboy Talk Explode with comic book writer and artist Sam Keith, best known for his work on Wolverine, Batman, and his own creations, The Max, Four Women, Zero Girl, and most recently, My Inner Bimbo. You know, my darling, I can't stand to sleep alone. No sweetheart in the dark to calm my everybody, it's Ron Richards here from MyFanboy.com. Recently I had the opportunity to talk to one of my favorite creators of all time, Sam Keith. Sam's been working in the comic industry since the mid-80s, but his distinctive art style didn't really get noticed until he was the first artist on Neil Gaiman's Sandman, a Wolverine run for Marvel Comics Presents, and then ultimately his creator on project, The Max, which was published by Image Comics at the time. It wasn't until The Max that I really fell in love with Sam's art, as well as his storytelling ability, and I've you know, continued on reading his work all through the 90s, uh, like Four Women and Zero Girl, both published through DC, um, and most recently his work that's been published by, uh, by Oni, uh, like Ojo, and the most recent My Inner Bimbo. Uh, we hopped on the phone, we talked a little bit about My Inner Bimbo, as well as uh, his time doing the Max and the Max cartoon and things like that. Sam's a fascinating guy, he dabbles in filmmaking, he's really one of the, uh, really one of the most creative people I've met in the comics industry. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. We were just talking before we started recording how I, I, we met at a, in San Diego at a con in, um, where you did a great sketch for me and all that kind of deal. I've been a fan of yours since, uh, I think, uh, Marvel Comics Presents in the late 80s. Uh, <laughs> so this is a real honor for me. <laughs> so thank you for your time. I guess I don't need to ask how old you are then, huh? <laughs> I'm in my early 30s, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what people usually go back to is. Yeah. Dad or the Max. So. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, so before before we, you know, I kind of want to talk to you about some of your other work in your career, but um, I wanted to first talk about the book that you've got coming out with Oni Press, uh, the collection uh, of My Inner Bimbo, um, which is the, your most your most current series, correct? Or, yeah, yeah, that's um, <clears throat> kind of a, I, I don't know if it's really an offshoot, but, you know, basically the, the book I did before that, um, Ojo was a, yeah, I decided to take some of the other characters in that story and send them into this story and it kind of grew into this giant uh, opus of 15 or 16 stories that haven't even come out yet. Oh, 15 or Because I heard it was a, the second part of three. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's kind of tricky. It's kind of tricky. There's, there's to the, Essentially, I said to Oni, I said, well... I put in the back of the Ojo comic that there was something like uh, 12 or 15, 12, 13 books. Yeah. And I said, these will, you know, basically I said, I, mean, I want to do these like over the next 10 years. And if you don't want to do them, tell me. If you lose money, tell me. I'll find somebody else to do them. But I'm set to do them, you know, because each story, while it has interrelated characters, essentially um, each one of them is not really focused on trouts or toilet seats or any of that uh, odd stuff I throw in, but there's a specific story in there, like the Friends of Max or right. Zero Girl or whatever. It's, a, it's, another, it's, it. it's like another little it's like another little universe that you've created or Yeah, essentially. Only uh, this one will be 
far less famous because it won't be on MTV. <laughs> True. <laughs> and and we'll we'll not have the the luck of it falling right into 1993 when they were just taking off. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I can't really control that. On on my end, I just wanted to say, well, well, something as vast as this, my best shot is to kind of almost function more as a writer and a creator and lay things out and jump in to do art when I can right. to try to hand it off to other people. And the only problem with Bimbo is that I got a couple of people, especially specifically Josh Hagler to help me out, and then I, I kept, you know, doing too much of the art and slowing down the book. Yeah. And uh, having a good time, but driving everybody crazy. <laughs> so I sworn if I do another one, I'm really going to pull back yeah. on the art and um, try to give, you know, the book a chance in hell of coming out. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, Bimbo had some release problems, and and did, and I, I I was actually psyched to see that the collection was finally coming out in one you know kind of unit as opposed to the issue based format. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm after it. I read some review that somebody said, uh, "I'm not even sure if uh, a trade will come out." And I thought, "What are you crazy? They gotta make some money on this sucker somehow." <laughs> you know, I was so late in putting it out. I was. Uh, I kept saying, you know, to Honey, I said, you know, if, it's a, if this was anybody else, you should fire me. And they said, well, yeah, but you, you won't do it then. <laughs> we can't fire you. We just got to keep hoping that you feel so guilty that you'll get another issue out. So so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. For, so for anybody who hasn't, hasn't heard of Minor Bimbo, is, the, is there It's a very late book. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very late book, but what, what is kind of, what, what is the book? How, how, do you, how do you explain it to people? Because I've had a hard time explaining it to people because it's a little odd. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. Basically, um, I try to rely on Oni for those log lines because they actually write them and I think, Man, that sounds great. That's like a TV guideline that I couldn't have reduced it to that. So I try to memorize their log lines. But, uh, <laughs> essentially, it's just the idea of, um, you know, a guy in his 50s or 60s later in life, closer to 60s, is um, kind of looking back on the choices when he got involved with his life, you know, you know wondering about things that, you know, mistakes he may have made. And then this um, kind of figment of his imagination, this bimbo, young bubblegum popping bimbo pops into his head. And, you know, obviously he does what any guy would do with that fantasy. <laughs> yeah. um, and explores it to all the cliches and sexism and misogyny that we discover in issue one. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, as it progresses, um, the book kind of tries to draw a parallel between when he was young and with his wife and, you know, in his 20s and, and felt himself somewhat a- inadequate. And then later on in the story, you know, the, the, bimbos, the bimbos starts to grow and discover things in the same way he did when he was younger and kind of um, leads him on this path to discovering things that maybe he didn't necessarily want to know about himself <laughs> and about his marriage and about a bunch of stuff. Right. That's a lot more than the brief log line you asked for. Yeah, well, no, but it's good because it gives people a more idea that for those who are familiar with your work, whether it was on the Max or Zero Girl or, or Four Women, um, it's this is, an, well, this is another, um, it seems like this is another deeply psychological story that you're telling. Yeah, that's a, that's a real shocker. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, really milk that crap to death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I swear there will be some good old-fashioned dumb action stories in here somewhere. Yeah. 
down the road. Yeah, yeah, I can hear your voice. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, uh-huh. I'm going to start now? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right, Ron. Um, I think that, uh, I think the main thing is, um, yeah, it's psychological, but it's like, since each book is different, like, Ojo is the kind of book you could give, I suppose you could give it to a kid. I mean, it's probably somebody 16 and older, you know. I mean, there's issues of death, and there's some a little bit of salty language, but it's basically, you know, a, a, not so much a kid's book, but an adult looking back on being a kid. Right. I think of that Ojo as being that. And then this is a book with definitely, you know, R-rated mature content, because not just salaciously, but, you know, adult things and uh, issues that you would, you know, not necessarily have a kid involved in. Right. And so the books run across the board. I imagine somebody would pick up one of these travel books and say, hey, this one's fine. I really like this book. And, uh, you know, somebody else might pick up the bimbo and, and want to hang themselves. <laughs> wow, this is really long and torturous and incredibly, you know, just just empty. Oh, here's Ojo. Okay, this one's not so bad. Yeah, why didn't he, doesn't he do this whole thing? So the good news is if you pick one up, you don't like one. I think there's a shot you might like another one <laughs> because even though they're different people, all part of a giant soap opera, you know, it's like a party. You could come up and say, man, I can't stand that creepy little guy. Yeah. But actually, his story, he's not so bad. Right. And he plays a benign uncle in the story of this little girl's life. Right. Why does he talk about his bimbo? Because that's not appropriate to a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. When she grows up, he could say, you know, I had a boob and she'll say, great, Gramps. Still no need to know that. But thanks for sharing, you know. <laughs> but I'm an adult now, and that's an okay conversation for us to have. <laughs> well, I... I've I've always I've always found it so interesting in, in the stories that you've told, and especially these one you know not not so much the the you know the work that you've done for DC or whatnot or, or Marvel, but the, the your personal stories as a as a creator have been dealing with these kind of issues and really kind of um, you know uh, putting you know putting forward topics that we don't read about a lot in comics and that are really kind of more alternative comics. Yeah, well, they're kind of like bastard offspring of alternative and mainstream comics, aren't they? Right, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to be really embraced by the drawn and quarterly crowd. Right. You know, yeah, I was talking about this with Chris Starr at Top Shelf. He's even saying, well, you know, if he had done this book with us, he probably would have won more awards, <laughs> you know, because it's Top Shelf. And I said, yeah, you're probably right, Chris. But on the other hand, you know, there's people that, that Micah Pickham Scott, actually, I don't think anybody reading Scott Pilgrim is going to bother into my warped little version of reality, but, you know, it's, it's a little more pop-oriented and contemporary and Didoni, so it's just, um, um, as far as the kind of personal stories, I kind of shifted during the Mac where I wanted to try to tell the stories, and they kept getting a little more more personal and away from superheroes, and I just kind of felt like after I was doing Friends of Max, I just, you know, I said, you know, it's time to cut the cord and stop calling this book Max. Yeah. And just start telling stories. And even if I take a hit and let people look at them, at least the people that will read them are only there to read them and are not there for somebody purple. Right. Because the guy's not beating up anybody anyway. <laughs> you know, he's just sitting around and, and when we were doing the cartoon, somebody walked in, one of the animation people walked in. He was set up so he's grabbing his face in the corner. He's saying, I can feel my face crawling or something. And it was a long, low note when the animator said, Man, can one episode of the Max be up here? Jeez, it just ends so depressing every <laughs> every time. And I thought, I like that. <laughs> I like that it's downbeat. Yeah. The little people say, can you save somebody this episode? And I said, no. 
why does he need to say it? There's a thousand other superhero books where they say something. There's a million, like, Superman clones and, you know, um, I just, I, I would, you know, just have this one little corner of the world for all the freaks that want something just a slightly different. Right. We're never going to win them back if I try to be normal. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> never going to pass for Jim Lee. <laughs> I won't say the company at one point. One of the larger companies actually was like, you know, hey, you know, do you think it, we're not telling you to draw like the more mainstream guys, but I said, you know, I wish I could. It would be so cool to draw like these big, you know, fan shave guys. Yeah. I would trade it in a second, wow. but I'm screwed. I have no choice. <laughs> I'm not enamored of my work. <laughs> well, don't, I mean, don't be too hard on yourself because one of the things that, that drew me to, like I said, I, you know, I, I started reading it with Marvel Comics Presents and, and your Wolverine stories in there, is that it was unlike... Anything I had saw, I mean, at the time I'm a teenager and I'm I, and I'm you know ravenously ravenously buying Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri comics, and then I picked up this issue and I was like, I have never seen these characters rendered like this before. Yeah, but I mean, I have to admit, you know, with me and you know, there was some, I was using still some of the same tricks that that Rob and, and Todd are using. The people would say, oh, well, that's not true now, but uh, you know, I was cognizant of the fact that if there was ever a chance for me to see mainstream, that would be it. Yeah. But I also realized no matter how much I tried to, to see mainstream, it just wasn't going to cut it because Wolverine was looking like various pieces of fruit in the cover <laughs> every episode. I was like, what the, was that, avocado? What is that, a circle? He's a circle now? It's a circle for a body. Hell, I could draw that, you know. Yeah. It just confounded, either confounded people or people said, this is great. You know, the fan letters started off like 80%. You know, we get like a big pile of fan letters, and and most of them hated it. And then over the years, less and less hated it or gave up, and the others started to like it and say, I don't mind if Logan is a big feat. This is kind of cool. So I always figured with the Max, we just just cut those guys off completely and shift over and Nobody would ever say you can't have big feet because because yeah, it's your character. So was right, so was, exactly. so was doing the Max, which is one of my favorite all time series. Was doing that kind of liberating to be able to just say, okay, this is my character, it's my show, and I can do whatever I want with it. It really was in a way I didn't even realize at the time. Yeah, you know, this is I always trying to find new things to say about it because something that happens. I, I don't know if you're aware of this. I certainly am. As you get older, you tend to repeat stories. Yes. <laughs> and you tend to, to, the brain tends to travel over paths and pretend and celebrate that it thought, said something or thought something. Yeah. So I'm always asking my wife to remind me because <laughs> I don't want to be one of those sad old fucks who repeat stories without people interrupting me because that's really pathetic, you know? <laughs> oh, no, tell you a story. That glazed look in their eyes like, no, I shouldn't interrupt them. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a really sad thing. So as you're asking me this, I'm remembering there's all this stuff in the pipeline. It uh, should be coming out the uh, beginning of the next year, including the 350-page art book from IDW and cool. about two dozen sketchbooks and all this crap, especially the art book, which is already written, where I talked about all this stuff. And I'm thinking, let me try to search and say something I haven't said <laughs> ad nauseum. Somebody reading the art book goes, oh, I heard this in the friggin' podcast. This guy can't think of anything. Well, it's can. okay. Nobody listens to us anyway, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, nobody read the art book. They yeah. just look at the pictures. They'll say, oh, there's, there's words in between these pictures. Who cares about that? I'll go back and read that after, like, a fourth read. I just want to see the pretty pictures. You won't shut up. So, yeah, it's, uh, but, I mean, yeah, that was, that was very, 
very freeing, but you are also aware that, you know, the burning candles eventually, everybody's going to catch on to the fact that there really wasn't millions of copies of books selling. Right, right. <laughs> but know, there were just a lot of speculators. And but but at the same time, you were you were one of the earliest creators in the '90s, at least, to have have out of comics success with the cartoon uh, when MTV picked up the cartoon. And and now you look at all these movies and all these animation things and all that, and really, it could be argued that you know you kind of paved the way for that. You know, uh, with the MTV cartoon series. Well, you know it. It's funny that what seemed kind of radical at the time, now, you know, it's kind of hard to get people excited by 10 minutes of computer-generated animation right. in a series like that now. You know, it seems probably kind of definitely dated, but that's kind of the problem I had when various people in Hollywood, and this has happened quite a bit, uh, you know, circled or talked about a Max movie. I kind of always was struck with what Mike Judd said about Beavis and Butt. Yeah. For years, David Geffen wanted to have giant CG, you know, beef and butthead figures. And Mike told me he, he didn't want to do that. He just wanted to have beef and butthead be animated. Right. Why screw it up and have them be hideously looking turnips with giant heads right. <laughs> that were computer generated that would just scare children and, and, and make adults wince. And, yeah. and he was right. And I kind of feel like the cartoon, even though it didn't continue all the Max chapters beyond my or anybody's expectations, was so much like the book, you know, even if there's a giant CG movie, I'll just have to do what Peter Chung does and go, well, I direct you back to the animation. Yeah. And I'm quoting Alan Moore. If it sucks, it's not my fault. <laughs> if it does well, you know, throw flowers over there, but don't throw tomatoes at me, please. <laughs> was, it, was it a battle to get the cartoon the way you wanted it? I mean, were you really involved in that process? No, it was absolutely crazy because they just let us do whatever the hell we want, which is probably why there's no cartoon now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good idea to just say, let's follow the book. Let's do this exactly the way it is. Wait a minute. The book's pulled out of my ass. <laughs> it's not necessarily the best thing to follow. Yeah. You know? And... <laughs> Kind of just say, hey, this, this road's going nowhere. You know, now when I talk to people or, you know, development people or stuff, I say, you know what? You know, you may argue whether I'm an old hack that doesn't draw as good as I do or more interested in stories than they aren't or whatever. But my stories now seem enormously well-crafted compared to things I was just flying through. And I really think if you line everything up and you pretend it's not the max, the zero girl and all that stuff, you would look at it totally differently. You'd say, well, these series of books that were 1 to 20 of the max kind of at least tied it off so that there was an end. Right. Now, 20 to 35 of these books that we now call the max could be solved with a series of short stories that really, some of them sucked and some of them were okay. <laughs> but we call that the max. But they might have been called... Sam's fallow period where he didn't know what the fuck he was doing, he wouldn't go to Max. <laughs> and then he had a series of small stories that nobody gave a shit about. And then later, people would say, oh, look at this Zero Girl. Now this is the new wave. He, he disappeared, he came back, now he did Zero Girl, and he does Four Women. Now those are grouped together. Yeah. Although they might just be called Sam does one cool fantasy and he depresses everybody with a story of four women in a car getting raped. <laughs> How exciting is that? That's really depressing. <laughs> and then later on, now people are saying, Oh, look, he's doing these black and white books. They're using other people. Yeah. He's using other people that really Sam Keith's project, or is it a kind of a, a weaker Sam Keith project? Because we have to look at other people's art. Yeah. Well, some of the other people might be driving better than me, so it might be kind of a plus. <laughs> so it's a kind of, you know, it's, it's weird to me that people group things as they do, you know. Right. 
I mean, people might have looked at American Splendor and say, wow, that's like a really great pilot for six feet under. (laughs) Because it's by the same guy. And it just happened to take some... But some people say, you know, actually, I think he did more interesting than six feet under, even though maybe less people saw it because they didn't get HBO. Or maybe that would be seven movies, all of six feet under, or 25 movies or whatever it was. And they had that for him. And then, you know, less people followed it as a group. The cool thing about comics is, you know is you can do a series of comics, and people will follow it a little bit, and follow it because you do it. Whereas they, in, in you know, the superhero world, they do it because of Tom Cruise or the equivalent who's Wolverine or Batman. Right. And, you know, it's nice to have somebody else draw Batman, but the real thing is, how much are you going to get in the way of my Batman fantasy? Right. Or how much are you going to aid it? And if you're going to get in the way of it, boy, I really want to throw rocks. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining my fantasy of Batman. How can you ruin my fantasy of Batman? And I say, you know, I'm really sorry. I'll be one of the fringe guys on the side if you just feel like really having a weird Batman experience. But there's 80% of them out there who won't run it. So just know I'm poisoned. Stay away from me, and and you'll be fine. But but that said, you guys that like weirdness, they can... I'm sorry, I can't get in a word edgeway. Oh, no, 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 I was going to say, I was gonna, but that said, you know, you've had, like, most recently you had uh, Batman Lobo come out, um, you know, a couple of years ago, and, and you know, you've ha- you do Batman stories, you know, every, you know you've, you've, very recently. So obviously they see some value in a weird Batman story. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of following the people that, there's more people that will pick up me doing Batman than of doing a personal story, obviously. Right. But a lot of that is because of Batman. And it's also, you know, even though I'm less and less interested in trying to draw the way I used to draw, um, you know, I, I just, I I want to give them a little bit of what I used to do, but the reality is I don't mind if I go, you know, what comic book people call Sienkiewicz out, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, Baron Story or any of the illustrators that are actually... The, you know, some of the inputs that Sienkiewicz had, mm. all those things getting more and more abstract is kind of thing I say, well, maybe I should just go off and do that in personal art or for our books or galleries or things that, you know, fans are not going to, you know, I mean, I did commissions for a while and the problem was people would want me to try to look like I looked and I was, you know, I can, mm. but I just don't want to. And that's what's really depressing. This is not something I'm interested in anymore and you know, it's kind of like saying, can you go back and, and you know, it's like saying to Jim Curry, can you be Ace Ventura again? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, well, you know, it's, actually it's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's that, it's that evolution as an because artist. He's grown, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's that evolution as an artist. I mean, like, you, I mean, you, you know, like you, you, and especially as you becoming a, a creator who's writing and drawing at the same time. Um, how do you, you know, how do you, do you look back on the Max issues and are embarrassed or, or like, do you, do you see your, your own personal growth as a creator? Um, I, I don't see much growth at all in the Max. I just think it was, um, it was just very fortunate in the beginning that, that, that I relied upon Bill Lopes to try to, to draw some sense into it. Right. I think the most interesting thing, because there's a, yeah, there's, there's, that's what I'm telling you. People that say, oh, the Max was the best, I'm thinking, man, you have selective memory. You're not going through there and seeing pages and panels that you just, you know, make you want to read. I see them every three, four, five pages. I've seen something I just say, I can't believe he must have been flying through the deadline to get that sucker out. <laughs> you know, I still do that. 
but I see it happening back and forth. Yeah. I see, you know, I think that the, the biggest shift was from being an artist who eventually wanted to be a writer, but didn't have any idea how, and I'm sure I wasn't the only image guy in that book, right. but, you know, eventually when I did, when I wound up rewriting Bill up so much, it was kind of like silly to be still having him, it's like as a training wheels when I may as well go ahead and screw it up myself. Right. <laughs> and then it seemed an evolution to that the stories were, were more and more important to me, and, and I always have a war between the writer and the artist in my head, you know, because <laughs> the artist wants to do big one-panel splash pages, and the writer wants to do 20 panel <laughs> twenty panels that explain the story, and you can see who won in the bimbo, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so um, the, the writer is kind of winning more these days. <laughs> well, it, it is when it, it's, a, it's, it's a more personal story because I want to, you know, as John Byrne once said, the problem with Splash Page is that it advances the story, advances the story by one panel. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you say, wow, it's a cool wow. It's certainly good when you first start a book, right? You know, it's like the opening of a movie, but it's one panel, you know, right. unless you put a bunch of inset panels. In which case you're cheating, you really have five panels inside of one page, you know. Yeah. I don't know, it's just, it's like, they don't need to fight each other, but I guess because I do both, I see, I can see the writers, whenever I do a big splash of a superhero saying, gosh, we don't have any respect. Come on, put a bunch of panels in and tell a story. Yeah. And then saying, but you know, I know that the people that are picking up this book are going to viscerally, emotionally respond to a really cool shot. Right. And um, I also know in the other kind of story, some of the reasons those people are reading that book is because they want more than that. Although I did have to say, I added that splash page of the bimbo, the girl with all the bubbles. Yep. After the whole book was done, I said, okay, we're starting off in this 20 panels on page one. <laughs> That's just so mean. There's no way I'm going to do that to somebody. I, I wouldn't even want to read the panel two myself. <laughs> I'd say, why don't you just give me a friggin' gun? What is this? You know, this is like, uh, you know, Nine volumes is encyclopedia plus. The text is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, screw it. But, well, how about a big new shot of the girl with a bunch of bubbles? Yeah, yeah what, it was the guys that owned you. Wow, this page is great. Yep. The head's too big. No, it's still great. <laughs> I think you're looking at the tits. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> so, well, I kind of give a visceral reaction, you know. Yeah. So, so as a as a writer artist, you know, working on your own projects. I mean, like one of the things that one of the, one of the reasons why I really like your art is because the the story is so integrated within the art. Like you do a lot with lettering and with 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 sound effects and the text and the word word balloons and the or lack of word balloons. When you when you approach a project like that, are, are you do you write a full script first and then go and then lay it out and draw it, or or like what is your process like? It's horrifying because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why do you laugh? <laughs> because it's, just, it's, this, it's this cognitive awareness that it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I'm the opposite of the creators that sit and talk seriously about the work because I feel like everything I do is a big goof. But um, it's 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 horrifying because, um, you know, I remember this when I was doing the Sandman. I remember thinking, actually, it wasn't even Sandman. When I was inking Mage, Matt Wagner's book, I was thinking this book from Matt Wagner, and I remember thinking, you know, this is really interesting to, to study storytelling here, and it'd be neat to tell my own stories. Although I'm not allowed, and I have no reason to think of why anybody would let me. 
And then when the Sandman came along, I remember thinking the same thing. I would like to tell stories. Um, but now it's kind of developed from the max to be so intuitive that literally I'll lay out an issue in thumbnails, and then I'll start drawing it. Yeah. Knowing full what they say, pretty much definitely every page, sometimes every panel. Occasionally I'll write dialogue over it, but usually it's just dialogue to, to remind me this five pages means this action is happening. And what's interesting is in the superhero books, it's usually they're fighting on the moon or something like that. Right. And with my stories, the pages start to balloon up with all sorts of notes specific to the motivation of the characters, usually, you know. Right. And But nine times out of ten, well, for right, example, right now, there's some Arkham books that I'm going to do with DC starting in two weeks. And there's not anything written down other than the outline that sold it to DC. Wow. <laughs> and I'll just begin drawing it. Wow. Um, I'm probably going to nail down with the editor to one page just because both of us would like, you know, like that done. But this Lobo thing that I just finished, um, there's another, this you know, Scott Ian, the, uh, the guy that, uh, you know, uh, the Anthrax guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. The band. He wanted to write Lobo, so they asked me if I would essentially draw, draw from an outline he had. So I just was throwing all sorts of sh shit in there, flying the seat of my pants, sticking to his outline, but still just having to improvise a little bit, you know. He turned out to be a very cool guy, and it's almost done, but it's just um, a little frightening for the editors at yeah. the big companies, because they know that eventually it'll all make sense, but they they just kind of have to, to trust me or close their eyes, you know. Right. And I tell them I'll redraw anything afterwards, in the case of Oni, they're literally flying blind. I just got to say, well, these are the things I've done. Luckily, I've done them, so I can point to it. <laughs> but I, I essentially draw it, and then I will go back in and make changes in the art. The writer will have their say and say, you know. I had a conversation with Scott Dunbar once where I said, well, you know, maybe we can have a balloon explaining that I didn't draw this panel. He said, no, don't be lazy. Come on, draw that panel. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so so when you're doing, like my inner bimbo, where you're working with another artist like Josh Hagler, how, how does that process change when another artist comes into the into the pool? Well, we kind of actually, <clears throat> I spent about six pages talking about that in the back of the book and asked Josh and Lee, mostly it was Josh, and then Lee came in for one issue here. Ironically, I asked Lee to come in because Josh was away, but by the time she it was able to get down and work, Josh was free anyway. <laughs> but um, but uh, we talked about that in the book a little bit, which is basically I laid out with thumbnails, you know, the old 8.5 by 11 crude drawing, yeah. and for every page that they're doing. Um, and I will just, like, draw a square that says me that for something that I panel that I'm handling and everything else is... I'll give that to them. I'll get on the phone. We'll talk about that layout. And they'll say, what is this, an orange? I say, no, that's our elbow. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll go over specific things that are unclear. And depending on the artist, it's interesting how, you know, some of them, actually both Lee and Josh, did want questions about motivation and what is she saying here? Is this a sad scene? Is, you know, they get a little frustrated that they're not working from the script. But, you know, that's just um, something that, uh, in these books especially, especially Ben Law, I correct and myself if I go through and say, I want the expression a little more different, you know. I'll just essentially go over their their light pencils and darken them in that tone with mixed results. I think I, sometimes I went a little heavy on 
the wet and wet watercolors and stuff. Yeah. But um, so it's kind of like I'm controlling in the back end and then the front end. And the middle, I tried to, to let them carry as much of it. They did when I would let them. When I was stupid and I kept drawing pages myself and Josh would say, I don't feel like I'm doing enough this issue. Mm-hmm. You sure you don't want to utilize me more? And my wife said, are you sure you don't want to utilize them more? <laughs> you know, you know, and Tony said, you sure you don't want to use Josh more and get the issue out? <laughs> so I'm going to do that now yeah. after everybody in the world including people assuming the book was canceled. <laughs> yeah, that was you know, the rumor. It, that was the rumor. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you know how depressing it is to see these people speculating your book is canceled and you think, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm Come on, on it. Dead here. <laughs> well, it's pretty frustrating because actually it's, even though, you know, it may be pretentious, it may not always work, a lot of it may not, does not work, I believe, but... I think that I was kind of trying with this book in a way that I was trying when I was first trying to write on, on Max. And I, I'm at least trying some things that are ambitious. That hopefully they may seem forced and overwritten in this book, but I'm hoping as, as, as things go along, I can, uh, you know, find... Uh, I've got Franklin Franco there's this line she has about... Uh, she learns that the spaces she leaves have their own things to say. I haven't learned that yet. <laughs> But I'm hoping to, after this book. Yeah. I mean, but the book, issue one is so congested, I suggest people read issues chapters two to five, yeah. and then go back and read issue one with a big magnifying glass. <laughs> I, I just had so much stuff yeah. that I was unwilling to cut, and uh, it's a little easier to read that way, yeah. for your eyes anyway. But um, it's a, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pages and things in that story and I won't get specific about which ones are and aren't real but particularly the flashback moments that are kind of excruciating to put out there because they feel you know have you ever have you ever done this I don't know if you've ever written or drawn anything where it feels it's a bit to you but actually the rest of the world it may mean it's just you know it's no big deal right but it seems almost vulnerable to you. Sure, yeah. Well, well, that's the concept that any any writing or, or a lot of stuff is people draw upon autobiographical or kind of pieces of themselves, whether it's actual events or feelings or emotions. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, especially when you're married to somebody for a long time and mm-hmm. and you try to address things, you know, and uh, you know you try to put things into the story. You, you go into it, you add something personal, and then you go out of it and you say, "Well, let me add some things that aren't." part of me yeah. uh, have me seem to have an affair with this large black woman and <laughs> which my wife is dismayed and surprised by well I don't remember you having sex with a large black woman I said but he doesn't actually have sex with a large black woman <laughs> that's the twist as we think it. she says well it's your story <laughs> and then add another complexity to this because I'm so unable to spell my grammar is just, just dismal and frightening um, I dictate the scripts to her Okay. And so she's sitting there typing things where, you know, she's aware that somewhat, oh, I'm a, I'm a character in a story, but, you know, I occasionally would pop out, I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that happening. I'd say, no, I know. It's, but uh, so people that, if you live with a fellow creative person and they pull things out of their ass all the time, sometimes you have to say, Okay, it's your story. <laughs> have you have you put, yeah. have you put ever anything in any of the stories that that she's objected to or that she's like no? Oh yeah, 
<laughs> but you know, in the end, I, I think that she, we kind of have this unwritten rule that we're, um, you know, when we create things that involve the other person, you know, we feel like it's as long as it doesn't, you know, cross the line that, that we don't right. want to cross, then you know, it's kind of fair game. Right. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. And there were things that I. You know, she asked me not to to deal with, and you know, because I want to be married more than I want to have a comic. I uh, listened to her. That's, pro- that's probably a good decision. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, there's some things that are even more important than the stupid comic. But it's uh, it kind of essentially sows the seeds of everything else that shows up in the story. You know, that girl with the weird helmet. Yep. She has four separate trade paperbacks, 130 to 140 page. Each one, one dealing with her teenage years, her 40s, her 20s, or rather 20s, one in her 40s, and one in her 60s. So her whole life is covered in four separate graphic novels that are already in my head that I have maybe 70, 80 pages of reference, 30 pages of art already done. And that's for every single one. There's essentially, well, I'll count them up right here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 separate books. Minus the two I've done. So that's um, 14, 13, 12. There's 12 out. Wow. But there's this exhaustive amount of crap on them. So let alone that I, like an idiot, decided to redesign my website myself. So I put all this crap about the trout in. <laughs> and then I took all these family photos and doctored them to look like they're from the 1800s <laughs> and have personal accounts of people that first saw the, ha- the trout back in the 1800s. So hopefully my family won't be upset. That the, my great great uncle is supposedly some wild crazy man that saw a trout <laughs> in uh, 192 or something. But I figured, yeah, it's going to be landfill and stuck in a thrift when we're dead anyway, so I might as well use something. Hopefully, they have a sense of humor about the fact that instead of being remembered reverentially, they're on a website <laughs> involving an imaginary trout. <laughs> but I just love doing this crap. And that's. You know, I'd sit off to this Alex Party, the guy that worked on Ojo. I sent him some samples of stuff. I said, what do you think about this stuff? Are fans going to be pissed off this isn't art? And he says, but it is art. Mm. It's like your art. It's full of all sorts of wacky, fake circus posters and, and pictures of... I figured the weird little creature in Ojo wouldn't just be that one creature. Mm. They would date all the way back to 1902 when somebody saw the first weird little creature. Some little girl kept it in his baby carriage. I took a bunch of weird dead fish animals inside a miniature child's baby carriage, yeah. photographed it, and aged the photo. I just thoroughly like building all this weird shit that, that has no purpose other than for me and somebody else that's just demented enough to want to look it up. It really, really gives life meaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, all, so all these stories are just up there in your head, just evolving and, and occurring? and Yeah, and there have been about six or seven sketchbooks that are full of a lot of colored... That's the thing, when I was, you know, I was going to put these sketchbooks out like a couple of years ago with IDW, and, well, you know, I'm with DC, it's, yeah. so I have to wait for, you know, to do that again, but there, I, I just told them, I said, you know, I have, if I take these sketchbooks and set them up on top of each other, they go to my belly button. Wow. There's like, you know, I don't know, I haven't counted them yet, but there's way over 20. There must be 30 or something. And they're all filled with color paintings and drawings and, and doodles and some bad and some good, all relating to in and around, 
yeah, occasionally there's Batman and other stuff in there because that's what I'm doing in between all this. Right. But essentially, just goes out the whole universe. And he said, you know what? Don't touch it. Don't start talking about it. You do that enough and the other stuff. Just print the sketchbooks exactly as they are. Yeah. You know, because there's like this little window into all the crap that's going on in your head. Yeah. So there's, 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 you know, literally thousands of pages of crap. It's, it's worse than Prince's vault, you know. It's, it's, I'm, you know, it's not a good thing, you know. Sometimes how many things he should have kept in that vault, huh? But it's one of those things where you're just like, you know, if I die, you know, shit will be coming out for years. People will have to say, okay, stop it, stop it. You know, the good stuff is gone. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel. But I could go five years and be dead and fine, you know, between that there's about 15 separate projects that have nothing to do with the trap and nothing to do with superhero work. That are the things that are being pitched as TV series or video games or TV shows and all this other crap because there's just too many. Every It's like every week I think, hey, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it? Now, not everyone is golden. and Some of them are just too weird and people say, no, you know, mm-hmm. you're not David Lynch. These are all going to hatch into great big things. <laughs> Some of us should just stay in your little weirdo world. Yeah. But that's why I have the website and all these other dumping grounds for things. Yeah. The problem is it all has to flow through my head, my hands, yeah. or somebody that is insane enough to say, yeah, I want to draw this weird thing because, like you, I grew up reading this book. Mm. And I say, if you're smart, you'll do it, you use me, and you go off and you get your own career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you'll... Get, you know, you'll do what Roger Corman said to me. Do a movie with me, and then go off and never come back and, and you know, make your own way. Right. But, uh, you know, it's like a training ground for people. That, and some of them were just going to go off and, I mean, Josh Hacker's been doing galleries anyway, and he's really exploded in that world. And yeah. Alex has really exploded in ways I never dreamed with doing uh, animation and films and all sorts of things. And, right. Going, yeah, these, these kids, which are already in their thirties, are not even kids, but they're, you know, kind of exploding and doing things like what I was doing with the Max, where they're just, you know, they're having their heyday, and right. I'm like, I feel good, good, yeah, you know, leave me, leave, <laughs> leave the, the nest or what passes for one. And <laughs> some of them would be going. I think that some of them would have gone anyway. You know, yeah. they're just like leaves out there taking writing courses, and I'm like, why are you taking writing courses? He says, I want to get better. And I said, you're a really great writer. Why, you know, they're hungry. Right. They're ambitious. They sit in the back of class and say, I could, I could fucking do that. Give me a break. Yeah. Those are the ones that make it. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned, you know, you're working movies and, th- and things like that. How much, of, you know, like how much of, uh, of a draw is, you know, animation and film and stuff like that in comparison to comics? Like, how do you kind of split up your time or where, where does your true passion kind of lie? Well, I kind of avoided, after the Max, I really avoided doing anything with TV or animation because, you know, my cousin, <clears throat> the cow and chicken guy, Dave Feast, yeah, I was his world, and I just kind of stumbled into it through the back door in Max, but I'm not really an animator. Right. And so people would suggest doing animated shows, and I was always kind of reluctant to it, to get involved in that. I just, I felt there was so much freedom in comics. You get involved with these long... You didn't realize how lucky we were the Max. You get involved with these long meetings 
with people talking about things over and over again that don't get it. I don't get it. Well, they try to hammer it and make it into something else. I thought, wow, you know, we were just coasting on that Beavis and Butthead <laughs> success, and nobody was watching the shop, and we just, you know, it was just serendipitous that it looked that much like it. And I kind of regret that, you know, we didn't have a plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is, so now in terms of, of the tension I give things, um, I I kind of made some alliances with some people that, you know, basically I trust and have known for 10 years. And I said, look, you know, let's come up with five things and find a home for them. Yeah. And either those will be pitch art or scripts or things that, that I'm willing to, to put a certain amount of time into trying to find a good home for them, even though I know it's against the odds. But the thing that, you know, I have protective of, like the, uh, you know, the trout stuff, I just kind of feel more like keeping it to myself and only trying to make some sort of deal if I had a success that would allow it to turn out the way I want it. Right. You know, because between the math coming out exactly as I wanted, but having the resources to do that, and doing a movie for Roger, which is really more just about learning, learning how small, how, how a small movie can get made, but you know, essentially somebody else's story, and you don't have any control. Right. And then making a small movie up here in Sacramento, which was okay. This is a lot. This is close as the gap between the Max movie, but it's still, you know, what if you gathered a bunch of people in the backyard to work on a movie? They have the professional, you know, skill, but it's still a small movie. Right. And now, if I, if I did anything else, I'd kind of want to close that gap. But the problem is you're a control freak, and, you know, people want... There's no such thing as control in that other world. Right. It, was, it, was, it was... It'll never happen again with the Max. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to, you know, to go back. So at least you have these little books, you know, and... You know, trying to not to make a deal with Joe Silver or somebody. They go, "What a surprise! It looks like shit." Well, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> Try to be a little more careful about who you're talking to. But again, sometimes you have the control; it comes out, it sucks because you have the control and you don't know what you're doing. Right. So you know, I don't. I am humbled, my friend. I'm not interested in what I think anymore. What I have to say. <laughs> I, I want to get rid of my brain. I want to get rid of all these thoughts I have. I want to purge them out in stories. Yeah. And then afterwards, everything is, every single thing I put in one of these stories, I don't want to be carrying around as one of those boring speeches that these sad, pathetic old fucks repeat. Right. I'll just say, see the bimbo. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, you said all this before. Great. <laughs> There's no reason I should say anything that's not in the bimbo. Because <laughs> I've already said it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I want to be an old person that says, tell me about yourself, something, you young emo girl. I don't give a shit about my fucking wisdom. You know, I'm just full of cliches and, you know. I said to Chris Strauss, you're a really wise guy. He said, you know, the young people don't want to hear what those old fucks say. Yeah. I said, you know, Chris, you're so fucking honest. You're right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm an old fuck, too. Wow. I got to disguise it and, and make my characters young fucks. So <laughs> The wisdom is coming from a young, bitter, you know, embittered ex-porn star. So I want to hear her wisdom. It's as if it's a 60-year-old guy speaking, it seems like, in the writing, but yet it seems to be a young, trendy person, which dates here. There's nothing worse than thinking you're writing somebody young and you're not. Everybody knows it. Yeah, you can see it. Young people smell 
Yeah. It actually didn't seem like it. It's so, just, uh, thank you for trying to move this forward. <laughs> I am all over the place. I can see you struggling to... Let's return to the point, gently, but firmly. <laughs> so, so I guess I guess the, the 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 last thing I just want to talk to you, ask you about was just the the balance between these personal stories that you have in your head and things like Batman and things like you know, the superhero stuff and when illustrating other writer stuff. How you know it, that's got to be a tough uh, way to switch gears between those two projects. How do you balance you know kind of having a hand in both worlds? Well, the, the things actually working with other writers pretty recent, you know, the thing was, uh, I did one thing this year with, uh, last year with Bruce Jones, yeah. writing a Batman story, and then this uh, Scott Ian thing, but usually, I've been writing and drawing the things that do at DC, so that was kind of actually a new thing, just getting used to working with another writer sure. again, right. kind of strange, and, uh, you know, going all the way back to, to, you know, to Bill and the Max, but I think that, in terms of, like, balancing it, it just, uh, it's so mixed up together, you know. Yeah. I I do know that the the things in my sketchbooks that get the most art, they get the most doodling and illustration, less tend to be Batman, because I know I'm going to do that when I do the page. I'm not like the fan that wants to draw Batman into that book because they don't get a chance to do it in the page. I get a chance to do it in the page. Right. The thing I do in the notebook is all these other worlds and these weird boxes and strange crap I actually build in my garage you know, trying to blend moss, you know, animal bones and typewriters from the 1800s into one texture because it's like just those textures, those those properties, those things, elements blended together are just um, organic and make sense to me. I, now, how, how will they find a home in these stories? Well, they'll spill out somewhere later and, you know, but it always starts with an image of, you know, hey, you know, it would be great if there was a chair or props in your home and they, were, they had moss all over them. <laughs> I would love to just, like, sit in a chair, sit in a chair naked and have moss on my body. That would be so cool. <laughs> However, the rest of the world doesn't really care if I did that. But if I was a woman and did it, I think a lot more people would probably be more patient with it, especially <laughs> in Finland. <laughs> True. <laughs> However, I want to draw her as a chubby woman. So instantly there's a, well, how chubby is she going to be? Is she going to be sexy chubby? Is she going to have a big belly? I say, well, I'm probably going to give enough fat to her to screw up the fantasy. (laughs) But, you know, not enough to really make her hot fantasy material for you guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, you know, just I'm edging away from from the safe ground of the Strangers in Paradise lesbian. We're not going hardcore. We're not going to Alice and Bichelle and likes to watch out for a real lesbian. So I'm like that middle ground between Terry Moore and Alice the Show. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble with those guys. That's quite a place to be. <laughs> I'm so, probably going to be, who knows how many losses we're going to be getting in front of all this stuff. <laughs> Actually, the, the, the comics, nobody really cares. Yeah, that's a great thing. Um, I don't think either one of them are going to be checking out this podcast, is my guess. Yeah, I'm going to respect them both, but... <laughs> So, um, so and, and who better, who better to write about lesbians than a middle-aged white guy? Right. That is really what the lesbian community wants to hear. <laughs> oh, great! It's another straight guy that thinks he knows lesbians. <sighs> you know, <laughs> which I try to lampoon in the bimbo a little bit. Yeah. But you know what you do? You just steal from your regular life and pretend to rate regular people. Yeah. 
pretending those lesbians are regular people is the key to trying to ride any any group, any person, right? Right, totally. I'm being tongue-in-cheek when I say pretending. Right. <laughs> if I, you're laughing, so I know some of this stuff is not causing you to just shriek and dismay. No, not at all. It's fascinating. I think this is great. I know, but we're, you're probably thinking, yeah, we're supposed to be talking about the bimbo. Well, no, I think we have talked about the bimbo, though, because I think part of it, though, is that if you look at if you look at books like Bimbo or even The Max and, you know, Zero Girl, Four Women, all of them, is that it's that what is the mind behind that? And it's fascinating to hear you talk about it. <laughs> well, I think your laughter pretty much sums up what that mind is. But luckily, it's a compassionate laughter, not, yeah. not a... a you know. Hey, hey, man! I'm I'm still gonna read everything you put out. I, you haven't you haven't scared me away. I'm, I, this is I mean, it's fascinating to hear. Just you know, it's the great thing about comics is that we get such a a pure artistic vision, you know, from yeah. from the creator. Yeah. Well, the good the good thing about it is that you know some of the some of them will be coming out in color, and I want to bridge the gap a little bit between okay, these are black and white books in the corner, personal stories, and then here's these <laughs> regular color books. But I just want to. You know, it's kind of suited up to the project, so it doesn't seem like it's just a color book to be a color book, you yeah. know. And and also just, um, you know, I'm still learning my way of working with other people who are essentially teaching me new things by doing things. I wouldn't, when I'm going over somebody else's pencils, I suddenly am drawing differently. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, I screwed that drawing up. I actually am here to improve it or make it clarified and I and I actually made it worse. This one, oh, I did it, it did okay. Well, this one, it's not so much better. It's just more like I need to learn when to leave something alone and when to actually, you know, say, wow, you've uh, you've really done this and you've done better than I could have done. And there's a there's a drawing like that I talk about in the trade where I did a drawing of Lo when he has his hands and his wife's shoulders and he's talking to her. And in the layout, I, I drew the whole. Here's in the story I'm repeating, by the way. In the layout, I did. I actually drew low and drew the shadow in his face and everything. I said it to Lee, and she said, "I think you should put that layout in the book." And I said, "Why well, too late? They don't want to draw that big." And she said, "Then blow it up and put it in the book." So then it's a little fuzzy. She said, "I don't think you or I will do better than that drawing where he's got his hands on her shoulder." Yeah. And I, you know, I was kind of touched and vain too. <laughs> so I thought, okay, yeah, that's uh. Let's put that in there. But then there's other moments where she drew that, where she drew the dialogue between them and the nuances that came out in her drawing. And then after I had her washes, I kind of lost some of them and overworked others. And I thought, oh, man, I actually fucked it up in the inks. I actually overworked something that they did that created something. And so it's like you kind of you do the same things when you ink yourself and you pencil yourself. And you work with somebody else and temporarily scares the shit out of you. <laughs> you have to actually do something different. Yeah. You have to jump away from the safe path. So I, it's kind of exciting to me because, yeah, we're failing all over the place. There's just a bloodbath of mistakes. It's just all over the walls, the ceilings, like Arkham Asylum. Yeah. It's a big nightmare. But interesting stuff comes from all those terrible, ugly mistakes. Yeah. You know? Totally. I mean, so we've long since given up any pretense that we're going to go for those little hairs and Wolverine's arm anymore. <laughs> it's like Kelly, Kelly Jones said, man, you look like you're attacking the page. And I said, Kelly, that's a euphemism for it. You're using too much toothbrush. <laughs> you're doing this to Kevin's thing. 
Yeah. Well, that took three seconds. <laughs> Don't you think there's a lot of people looking at it and saying, well, hell, I could have done that. <laughs> that should be the artist on Keith. Hell, I could have done that. Yeah. That should be the... Uh, <laughs> we're going to have 30% art, the art of... 30% off the Artisan Keith and Borders or, you know, the Barnes & Noble, although they freaked out, said, you can't have a book that says 30% off because we're going to put 30% off <laughs> on it. And that's really going to confuse the fuck out of everybody. <laughs> Don't do that. That's awesome. So we will, will not, it will not be 30% off the Artisan Keith <laughs> because if, when it goes to the bookstores, that'll, and you know what, the three bookstores that bother to pick it up. Oh. You know, it's a $50 art book. Give me a break. It's just the comic book stores. But... <laughs> So. The world isn't ready for my ideas. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> I don't it know doesn't get me. <laughs> Only beginnings are other freaks are like me. Yeah. Well, I, I think in I think in comics. No probably, offense to you. Oh yeah, I know. I think it's a compliment. But I think that's the thing is I think in comics, especially in uh, you know alternative comics and stuff like that, I think there you find that you find that audience and you connect with them. You know? um, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's why I, I try in the story to have all sorts of different characters because I know there's a lot of. And I'm not just, you know, trying to necessarily, oh, well, let's put in a gay character or a bisexual character or whatever. It's more like I see the people that are in line and there's just no, just, there's just all sorts of people, yeah. you know. And you don't really, you know, nobody comes up and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm bisexual. They just come up in line and you say, hey, this is an alternative person. Who knows what they are? But it's clearly that they're not trying to conform visually. And I just kind of feel like, you know, trying to put some of those things in the stories because they're the kind of people I grew up around and the kind of people that read my books. And, you know, you, you can put them a little bit in the mainstream comics, but, you know, they're mainstream comics. You know, there's just, there's a, even though they don't tell you not to put it in, the system is, is you know, you know, it, it, you know how the system is. It's, you know, it's like DC, you know, they say, now there could be no question. They actually said this. There could be no question that Batman's not gay. Jeez. I said, well, no, I didn't figure he was. I wasn't planning to make him gay. <laughs> no, we're serious. Batman is not gay. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah. They actually yeah, said that well, like, proactively? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to be really clear about it. You know, and I, you know, I, they're, you know, they just, they just, first of all, they know how screwed up I am. <laughs> so they're afraid, who knows, you know, maybe it's just, who knows, you just, it's always like, is he going to be quasi-normal, Sam? Or is he going to go apeshit and we're just going to have to, you know? Because now, it's a stage in my career, instead of telling me redraw that, now they tend to go, they tiptoe around you a little bit before they ask you to redraw. Yeah. So they're kind of like, and, you know, remember, I'm, I just draw. I don't even, you know, outline. No, that's for, that's for with you, you know, outline. Screw that outline stuff. Here, here, here's the story. Oh, hmm. Well, now it's, here's this great shot of the Joker, and I, I don't want to get rid of that shot of the Joker, but, you know, why is he standing next to the platypus? Well, maybe we'll work it into the story now. It's not quite that bad, but it's a little that bad. <laughs> All right, so um, so we got my inner bimbo, the trade paperbacks coming out with Moni this, this month, right? <laughs> I have more fun listening to you laugh than you talk. <laughs> you have such a great laugh. You're just like, you're, you're clearly... You, you're like the one of the. It's so cool to talk to me. It just totally gets you, yeah. intuitively. You know, it's like there's nothing. There's nothing I can say that's going to scare you. No, not at all, man. I've, you're I've, hanging I've, tough, man. I've, yeah, I've been reading you for twenty years. I'll keep on reading it. And, you know, <laughs> now just, you know, I'm glad you got stuck with this detail. You know, one of the other normal kind of guys would be. Yeah. 
you know, just sitting here, I don't even know where to start with this guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, this guy, this guy, I have met Alex Ross. You, sir, are not Alex Ross. <laughs> yeah, What's Alex know. Ross? That's boring. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I'm always the, the other side of, yeah. from, from mainstream comics. There's, there's even people out there that are more far than me, but, you know, there's like the mainstream guys, and then there's the rest of us. Yeah. We're always there by the grace of... Of our, you know. Well, I mean, that's that's why I like comics is because there are people like Alex Ross, there are people like you, there are people, you know, the people who are Sinkavich, there are people who are out there, and and this is an opportunity to see, you know, the the. Well, that's that's true. That's the other side of it. Is that I look at all these guys, even guys that do things I can't do, and I think there's a part of me that thinks, man, I wish I was Dave McKean or Alex Ross or yeah. one of these illustrator two guys that could just draw like a motherfucker. Yeah. But um, I have no choice, and it's too late. Well, I, I well, in all due respect, I, I I would I would say you can draw like a motherfucker pretty well. <laughs> well, I draw like a motherfucker. I draw pot belly guys with big eyeballs or dripping things or people with big feet. But again, that's a slim group, you yeah, know. True. Boy, that guy does great big feet. Well, you know how many people draw big feet? Yeah, yeah, he's king of big feet. Yeah, well, there's like three guys, so it's not a real, you know. Like David Lynch is king of weird. Well, how many weird guys are there? You know? right. Yeah, but we need the weird not guys. A, not, a, not a dangerous pack, you know. I'm in the safety of my own zone, so it seems, you know. I don't venture out into those dangerous things where I have to compete with others. Right. No, I stay in the safety of my own cliché. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure we can go on and on like this for hours. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's way over. So, you, you had to cut the table out. Yeah. So, so my inner bimbo from Oni mm-hmm. out this month, and you, you've got a couple of DC projects lined up. Any idea when those are going to be out, or just going to be whenever they come out? <laughs> you know, they're sitting on three right now: yeah. two Batman things and a Lobo thing. And then, and then I'm starting like you know Monday on a new one. Right. It's the Arkham thing. So basically, I'm up to my ass in Batman, yeah. and it'll all probably be trickling out. The end of this year, beginning of the next. Cool. You know, so the people can pick those up, and then I'll try to use every single interview with those to say, uh, "Yeah, and then read my weird shit too." Like, <laughs> white shit, the, I know you want me you. with the t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So. Well, thanks for being uh, a, a very, a very uh, forgiving and compassionate and loud laughing audience to to clear all those awkward, long. Uh, <laughs> You you probably kept me from like five or six stories right there <laughs> with your laughter. Excellent. You're better than my wife, my friend. <laughs> well, I think that's a ass. compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, thanks so much, Sam. I appreciate it. And so that was my conversation with Sam Keith. As you can tell, he's definitely one of the more unique creators out there in comics. So be sure to check out my inner bimbo, which is now available in trade paperback from Oni Press, and be on the lookout for his upcoming Batman projects as well as the future of his <laughs> many, many graphic novels yet to come out. So until next time, be sure you head over to ifanboy.com, check out the Pick of the Week podcast, all the other great writing and everything there, and I'll talk to you later.